Good morning, Fondred Church. We're glad that you're tuning in from home or wherever you are with whoever you are with, whether it's family, small group, roommates, friends, all by yourself. We're glad that you're here. Question for you, what's the first thing I did when I walked into this big empty sanctuary to preach to nobody but the camera? The first thing I did, oddly enough, is I splashed on some cologne. For real, that's sort of a Sunday ritual. Old habits die hard, right? I usually do a few push-ups, I pray, and throw on some cologne. I don't know if this uh, sermon is going to be any good. I don't know if I look good, but I guarantee you I smell good right now. Sweet aroma, a fragrant offering. But glad that you're with us this morning. So glad that you're with us. As we've been living in these uncertain times, we've been learning new language, dealing with the news. We've had to overcome, live with certain concerns and fears. Like you, I've been reading articles from the CDC, from the FDA, from the WHO and others. And there's a, as we've learned about this virus and learned about flattening the curve and sequestering or quarantining ourselves, about distancing ourselves socially from people, I've had one central question that sort of stayed with me during this week or so. It's this question, am I elderly? If you're with somebody, maybe look over at them and answer that question out loud. In fact, don't answer the question. Just just make the declaration. Say, Robert is not elderly. Okay, I may be losing my youth and vigor, but I am not. I'm not elderly. Well, I'm excited. I'm actually, as we don't know if our time away, our time with church online will be weeks or months. We're not sure yet, but I'm just so excited. I've even dreamt about the reunion that we'll have when we can gather all together back in here and worship together to think about the anticipation, to think about the word sung, the word celebrated, the word preached, to think about baptism and communion and hugs and tears and laughter and just being together. That day is going to happen. I know it. We don't, again, we don't know when, but I just look forward to it. I do believe that there are two lessons that we're going to learn in this, two lessons that seem contradictory. Here they are. The first lesson is this, the things that we thought needed to be done in person can actually be done virtually, and the things we thought could be done virtually actually need to be done in person. While we are excited about the opportunity this affords us as a church to go online, the opportunity to preach the gospel to be heard, to be seen, to be knitted together in community in virtual new ways. I long for us being face-to-face. Consider a couple of the, the tender passages that show the church functioning at a high level. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17 says this, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, some translations say not in heart, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. There's nothing like being together in person as the family of God. Consider Acts 28 and verse 15. The brothers and sisters, same language there, the the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and he was encouraged. We long for the day when we can be together. But in the meantime, we're praying, we're hopeful, we're expectant that God is doing a unique work as we have church online. Already our staff, elders, deacons are leading us through a great process of making sure people are cared for. Galatians 6 says to be good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we are making sure that our elderly, that those who are most vulnerable to other folks, all the folks are being contacted and cared for. And so we invite you to 
pray for this season that it'll be a really rich one. Well, today we begin a new series. We, we're going to finish the series that we started, Left to Our Own Devices. Daniel Wagner preached week two. Nick, prior to that, preached week one. Both of those young guys did a great job. And Daniel has already recorded sermon number three, the final installment of that series. And we're going to post it on audio uh, this week, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that. But in light of the season, in light of the times, in light of our concerns and fears and the rapidly changing world that we're living in, we wanted to delve into a new series that will take us to Easter. And this series we're calling non-essential. A word, a hyphenated word that we have stolen, of course, from the, that we've grabbed from the headlines. We're rethinking life. We're rethinking not just opinions and preferences and taste, but we're rethinking values, things that we hold dear, normal habits and practices uh, in our lives. What is essential? What is a non-essential? It's a big fear for many of us to be labeled this. Government, businesses, organizations, churches, all are going through these uncertain times together, and some jobs are being furloughed or lost Uh, That's probably a deep fear for some of you to be labeled non-essential. This headline that we're seeing, non-essential, invites the question, what is essential? And so over these weeks culminating in Easter, I want us as a faith family to look at what is essential. And this morning, we're going to start with God's presence. We're going to look at a psalm in a moment, a particular psalm. We don't know who wrote it, but we know it's inspired, and we know it speaks to the deep recesses of our hearts and speaks to us in these times. The psalms is right in smack dab in the middle of the best-selling book of all time. It's an ancient anthology. It's a collection, if you will, of hymns and poems, poems set to music. The the Psalms were written over a span of a thousand years. Don't know if you know that. It was written by several different people. We know King David wrote some 75 Psalms. A man named Asaph wrote 12 of them. And then a group of brothers named the sons of Korah, they also wrote 12. Solomon wrote one or two. We're not quite sure. Moses wrote a Psalm. Do you know which Psalm Moses wrote? Moses wrote the 90th Psalm recorded for us. And then a man... I don't know if you know this, a man named He-Man wrote a psalm. What a great name. Imagine, fellows, if that was your name, H-E-M-A-N, He-Man. Imagine having a name like that. I am He-Man, master of the universe, and I write poetry. Well, this psalm that I want to take you to today is in the 95th psalm, and I want us to look just at the first part of this psalm, verses 1 through 7, and we'll read from the ESV. Follow along with us, Psalm 95 one to seven, an invitation for us. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice. What a great passage of scripture. It invites us. It invites us to sing a song of joy. 
but it also invites us to kneel and bow down. This psalm reflects the whole 150 psalms in that it invites us into a gamut of emotion. It invites us to express ourselves. We're told to make a joyful noise. You know, that is, by the way, a very low bar musically, isn't it? We're blessed to have Lauren Lucky and a great team of vocalists, of talented musicians. Uh, There's a big gap probably between her, them, and a lot of us, but we're all invited to make a joyful noise. You can accept that low bar invitation to just express yourself. We're invited here in the first few verses to, to, to into joyful celebration through music, thanksgiving, and song. But we're also invited into quiet contemplation through kneeling and bowing down, probably in reverence and in silence. You know you need both to worship God, to walk in this world that we live. You're going to go through a gamut of emotions. The same God you confirm that you believe in is also the God that you'll doubt and you'll waver in. That you'll have emotions that really will cover the specter of it all. And there's times of joyful celebration. There are times when you and I, we scream and shout, a rock concert, a ball game, certainly in the deep south, SEC football, which we're praying will happen again one day. But we sing and shout songs of celebration when we're pumped, when there's something that we're truly excited about. A couple of years ago, I was invited to preach a revival, and the, the, the church that hosted it was predominantly an African-American church, and I'm not sure they knew what they were getting in when they invited me, but it was a, a, a wonderful invitation that I couldn't turn down, and it really turned out to be an amazing week and a unique experience for me in particular. But I noticed early on, in fact, night one, it was popular for the congregation there when someone was preaching well they would say they would say come with it come with it some more and when they wanted someone to maybe end the sermon they would say bring it on home well maybe you can imagine that that week when I preached a few sermons with other guys preaching again a revival service I heard both I would hear some people say come on with it and I would hear some people say bring it on home one night the last night One of my brothers in Christ preached and he brought it. In fact, people were saying, come on with it. Come on with it some more. And mostly what I heard was bring it on home. Expression is very important. No matter your personality, no no matter where you are as extrovert, as introvert, wherever you are on the Enneagram scale, the disc test, whatever it may be, your spiritual gift inventory, we express ourselves in different ways. And what I love about the Psalms is all are invited in, all can make a joyful noise, all need to celebrate with thanksgiving music and song. And yes, all of us need to kneel and bow down in quiet contemplation. Where would you be today? What's the, the tendency of your heart? Where is your mindset? What's happening in you? Is it joyful celebration? Is that the easy thing to call out? Or is it quiet contemplation? Both are needed. Both are real. You know that some people just can't find much seemingly to thank God for. God, what have you done for me lately? I've got a, an old car, a dull spouse. I've got an old dull spouse. I don't have a spouse. I don't like my house. God, what have you done for me lately? And some people, they see the light and the love in the universe. They wake up every day with a sense Even if they don't know it or not, it's Lamentations 3.23. God, your mercies are new every morning. Sunday, new mercies. Monday, 
New Mercies, Tuesday, New Mercies, Wednesday, New Mercies, Thursday, New Mercies, Friday, New Mercies. Guess what? Saturday, New Mercies. God, you've made me. God, you've given me a heart that beats and lungs that breathe, and you have given me life itself, a mind that works for the most part. You've given me, God, you've created me. There's a Savior who died for me, a Holy Spirit who guides me. There are promises that lead me. God, I thank you. And some people don't find much to be grateful for. They're non-worshippers, but some people are worshipers. They find plenty to be grateful for. I want to ask you, where would you be today? There's, let's look at, first of all, that the non-worshipping and then the worshipping mindset. First, the non-worshipping mind, putting it in front of you on their screen. A non-worshipping mind is entitled, self-preoccupied, easily irritated, often discouraged. A non-worshipping mind also is ungrateful about the past, anxious and not expectant about the future, cranky, stagnant, and self-centered. You know, when I'm preaching with a room of people, I can see you sometimes elbow each other. So if you're at home next to somebody, don't do that, please. But do you have a non-worshipping mind? Does this describe you? Where it's hard for you to savor and enjoy and delight and even see God's goodness. By contrast, a worshipping mind. A worshipping mind, there's a tendency toward gratitude, praise, wonder, and delight. This person is open to joy. The worshiping mind is always looking for it, looking for the gladness and joy, aware of gifts and grateful for them, confident in God, and thus humble in themselves. Think for a moment, why does God invite us to praise him? The great writer C.S. Lewis, who's had a profound influence on my own faith, he talked about when he couldn't believe. He didn't believe and found faith in God to be very difficult. And in a cranky sort of way, but a thoughtful way, he asked the question, why would this God demand, command people to praise him? What type of egocentric person would do that? And then the very thing that kept him from faith, his eyes were opened. It added, it, it opened him to faith when he learned through process that God is not that. God is not some sort of empty, egocentric person, character with low self-esteem who's inviting us to help prop up his ego. In fact, Lewis would say that God commands us to praise him because of what it does in us. In fact, it calls out in us this sense of wonder and delight. The psalmist put it this way. There's a question here. If we'll back up on the, on the slides there, it's, it's a question here about, if I, it says this, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. A declaration, that is. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. This is found also in the Psalms, not the 95th, but it's found in the 50th Psalm. And this is God, the words of God. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. God doesn't need us. He's not physically needy. He's not mentally, spiritually, eternally, or emotionally needy. That's not the God that we serve. And God is saying, I don't have needs, but you need me and you are enlivened. You are awakened to the gifts and the goodness that I provide when you praise. Another thought here, quote on the screen, praise is our health made 
audible. This from another one of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard. Praise is our health made audible. Think about it. When you experience something that excites you, something that brings joy, you want to tell someone about it. Oh, you've got to see the mountain peak. You've got to see the sunset. You've got to see the ocean. You've got to see my new golden retriever puppy. You've got to see this. You've got to go to this new restaurant. You've got to experience this new band. You want to tell people about it. In fact, if you experience joy and then you had to just simply sit and soak in it and tell no one, that would be very unsatisfying. You see, God has made us to be worshipers. So let's consider two great things about worshiping God. Why would we worship God? Psalm 98, let's look at it. Psalm 95, rather, gives us two reasons to worship him. Here they are, if you're taking notes at home. He is great, verse 3 and 4, and he is close, verse 6 and 7. One more time, Psalm 95 gives us two reasons to worship him. He's great, and he's close. God is infinitely powerful, but he also, amazingly, is intimately personal. No mind can entertain a more staggering thought. Can we believe it? God, are you there, and do you care? By establishing God's greatness, the psalmist here points us to creation. He talks about God creating the mountains and the seas and the earth and the dry land. And the image that he uses for us is one that we would do well to think a lot about. It's the image of an artist. God is an artist. More specifically, he gives us the image of a potter, shaping and forming. And that is our God. You and I, we probably share different things in common. And we share one thing for sure. We live on a planet called Earth, and we're one of eight or nine planets, depending on if you give Pluto any respect or not. But we're one of eight or nine planets, comets, and asteroids that are orbiting around the sun. And scientists are shedding new light on the fact that there could be over 100 billion galaxies. And God holds that in his hand. A few weeks back, an elderly friend of mine invited me, or actually asked me, to take him to the eye doctor. He had some swelling in his eye and wanted to see, to quote him later, to see if I was a good pastor. He was testing me, and maybe God through him was. And I took him to the eye doctor, and as I was sitting there reading and talking to him later, I was learning some facts about the eye that I never knew. It's made up one eyeball. Most of us have two, but one eyeball is made up of 100 million cells. There's an iris and a cornea. There's different parts of of, a cell, of a, an eye cell or retina. There's rods and cones and pupils and so many things that, so many different component parts that make up an eye. And we, we have two of those. And with that eye, with those eyes, we're able to see color and shapes. We're able to take it in, to react and to respond. Aren't you glad, all of us who can see, aren't you glad that you can? You can see what's beautiful around us. And you can see, probably most importantly, the faces of the ones that you love. And you can see art. And God made that. He made your eyes. He made you to be able to see. And all the senses are from God. Within each of us, there's some 60,000 miles of veins and arteries. 60,000 miles. To like, you can liken that to traveling from San Francisco to New York 21 times. 
And that length are the veins and arteries inside of you pumping blood and oxygen into your system. We have some 9,000 taste buds. Who's grateful for de- today for taste buds? How many of you enjoy ice cream? Raise your hand if you're watching this with a group of people. You enjoy ice cream. How many of you enjoy Krispy Kreme? I'm on record here at Fondren Church that I love Krispy Kreme. I drove past it yesterday on County Line Road in Ridgeland, said a prayer for Krispy Kreme that God would preserve that donut place here in the midst of these tough times. How many of you enjoy a cup of coffee? How about some bacon? I think we're falling into sin here, aren't we, this morning? How many of you enjoy a glass of Cabernet? Raise your hand. You can't do that in church. Of course, you're not in church, but you're watching a church-sponsored worship service. How, how, much, how many of you really appreciate the ability to see, the ability to taste, to make things out in life and to enjoy it? First Timothy six seventeen. God has given us richly all things to enjoy. Our God is a generous God. Our God doesn't give in scarcity. He gives in abundance and desires that we live abundantly. And there's so many gifts. God is great and God is close. Verses 3, 4, and 5 talk about the greatness of God in creation. The potter, the artist who made, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship. He created us. We are his crowning achievement, his greatest work of art. It's you and I. He's our maker. The psalmist here in Psalm 95 says that he's our maker. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep. We're We're the sheep of his hand. He's made us, and he's made us intimately, and he cares about us. The Lord is my shepherd, one person, David, you know, would say. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice that language there. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, I am that I am, the great God, the one who has always existed, who always will exist, the one who's not surprised by the events that have surprised, uh, surprised us and thrown us out of sync. That God, David is saying in Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, is, not was, not I hope will be, but is. It's present tense and it's very personal. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is my chauffeur driving me around where I want him to take me. He doesn't say that the Lord is my butler making my life easy and comfortable and serving me. He doesn't say the Lord is my tour guide. He says the Lord is my shepherd and a shepherd feeds and a shepherd protects. It's not a great compliment to us to be called sheep because sheep have certain qualities we're dumb and dirty and defenseless but we need to be fed and we need to be cared for and we worship God because he's great he made the mountains the earth the sea and the dry land he formed it and holds it there's 100 billion plus galaxies in the palm of his hand but we worship God because he's close he's our maker as well we're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand Let me ask you this morning, as we think about the non-essential nature of God's presence, as a church, we need his presence. As a people, we need his presence. You need his presence always, but certainly in these times. Think about, if you think about this 23rd Psalm, borrowing from Psalm 95, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand, think about the 23rd Psalm and the needs that God promises to meet in this Psalm. From the 23rd Psalm, God will meet my spiritual needs, verses 1 and 2. He'll meet my directional needs, verse 3. 
He'll meet my emotional needs, verse 4. That's the part where it says, I will fear no evil. How are you doing this morning with the fear factor? He'll meet not only your spiritual, directional, emotional needs. He'll meet my physical needs. The Lord prepares a table. It's a very physical thing. God wants to be your provider, and he will meet my eternal needs. You know it, but surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If we can keep that up from the 23rd Psalm, as you look at that screen, what needs do you need met today? What fears do you have? Where is faith? Where has faith left the room? And where's fear getting the best of you? Tuesday morning when I pulled in to work, I knew I'd be leading a staff meeting where all 10 of our staff would meet in here in the sanctuary and we would sit six feet apart as we shared fellowship and prayed and talked about how we can grow in this season. And I was, as I pulled up in the back parking lot, I was greeted by one of the contractors, one of the mechanical engineers working on our HVAC, improving our facilities for the future. And he came over to my truck to say hello. There was a little bit of pleasantry and small talk. And then he did a pivot foot back at me and turned back to me and said, you need us. You still need us, don't you? And this older man, it was a sweet moment for me. A moment front and center where I saw what we've been reading about in the headlines, what many of us are facing, economic fear and uncertainty. I saw it on this man's face. You still need us, don't you? He was worried about us uh, saying no. He was worried about feeding his family. We need to call out to God. Gang, we have a God who can be our shepherd. He can be mighty. He is a great God infinitely powerful, but also intimately personal. The God who made the mountains and the seas, the earth and dry land, who formed and fashioned it, that God, the potter God, he can be near to us. He's our maker. He's our creator. We, in turn, are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, and we're under his care. As we begin to round toward home, I want to say just a few things about worship from the Bible. The first is this, and this is a message to the online church, to us in the next weeks ahead. Worship is communal. If you would later, look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26. In 1 Corinthians 14, the church had flourished, but they were, they were experiencing some problems. There were some leadership problems. There were some spiritual gifts that were being abused. There was envy. There was irritability. There was jealousy. There was a lot of problems in this early church. And Paul was writing them to say that when we gather for worship, and notice that phrase, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. You'll look at it. You'll see it when you look at it later. Paul doesn't say if we gather. He says when we gather. The church is a people gathered. Brothers and sisters gathered together. So he says when we do that for us for you and i to make it a priority that's the invitation here when we gather and he says i love this this is where we all can grow as a church and maybe this season of being an online church will help us do this but he says when we gather for worship be prepared come ready don't do it mechanically don't do it casually don't do it half-heartedly show up and do it with all of your being, be fully present. Some should read, he says. Some should teach. Some uh, would lead in singing. Use your gifts when we gather. Worship 
is communal. We have to do it in different ways, and we'll do it again one day together, we hope soon, and we hope we'll be a more robust and stronger people when we do it. Worship is communal. Let's make it a priority in this season online and out of this season, and only God knows when that will be. And then this phrase here, God inhabits the praises of his people. You may recognize that. That is also from the Psalms, from the 22nd Psalm. God inhabits the praises of his people. What does that mean? It means that something can only happen when God's people gather together. There's something that can't happen when we're separated from each other. It can only happen when we're together. He inhabits the praises of his people. So I do want to say the reverse is true. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. There's something that can happen in solitude that can only happen in solitude. And we need both, just as we learned from the 95th Psalm, we need joyful celebration, music, thanksgiving, and song. And we need quiet contemplation, kneeling and bowing and reflecting. We also need this. We need to see that God inhabits the praises of his people when we come together, but also being still before him. Worship is not only communal, but worship is mindful. Here are three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it stops at 30 minutes. Oh. Reset. Okay. And so that was a, it was right at 29. Okay. So what I'm about to do is just um, start again. And if you've been, okay. Um, okay. 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 All right. No, that's fine. We're, we're right there anyway. Not only is worship communal, but worship is also mindful. Look at three great expressions from Scripture. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. That from Psalm 103. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. That Ecclesiastes 12.1. In 1 Corinthians 11, do this in remembrance of me. Real quick, what do those three declarations in Scripture have in common? Don't forget all of his benefits. Remember the Creator. Do this in remembrance of me. Our worship should be mindful. Again, not half-hearted. We come prepared. We do our part to focus, to eliminate distractions, and to worship him. We've got to remember. We've got to remember what he wants us to remember. Forget what he wants us to forget. And remember the benefits. Remember him in the days of our youth when it's difficult. Remember the sacrifice that he made. So in these times of what's non-essential, what is essential? What, what matters? We're saying in week one of this series, and as we close now, that what matters is God's presence. We worship him because he's great. We worship him because he cares, because he's close, he's near. Let our worship grow. Let it be communal. Let's long and pray for the day that we can gather again as a church family. But let's do the best job we can while we're apart. And worship is mindful. We put into our mind thoughtfully what God desires us to be true about him, about ourselves, and about the world. Pray with me as we close. Father, thank you for even what's happening in our world today. God, we want to ask you to be present for your manifest presence to be known in us. 
God, you are great, even though it seems like there's so much terror around us. And God, you are close, you are near, you care, even in the midst of great obstacles. And God, I pray that you call us to be worshipers of you. Teach us what we can do next. And God, strengthen our church, strengthen us, form us, shape us as a people as we experience these weeks ahead. God, you've got something for us that's deeper and wider and broader than we know now. And I pray that you would do that work. And Father, I pray specifically for those who are really up against it now. Lord, the most vulnerable, I pray for those whose anxiety and depression is rising. I pray for those who need to know you as a need meter, be it spiritual, emotional, uh, physical, eternal, whatever the need may be, God, would you be the shepherd in our lives? This we pray in Christ. Amen.